Hey everyone, welcome to the seventh episode of the Fandom Science Podcast. Today I had my good friend and my lab mate on Nima Derensai. Uh, Nima is a PhD student here at York University and he studies the trajectories of Paralympic uh, athletes. And um, we talked a lot about athletes with disability, about people with different impairments. And uh, we also talked a lot about some weird topics. We talked about life in general, um, immigration, guilt, responsibility, um, a lot of weird stuff, but it was definitely one of the most fun conversations I've had uh, on and off camera. So I hope you guys enjoy it. If you're watching this on YouTube, please uh, give a like and subscribe to the channel. And if you're uh, listening on SoundCloud, please subscribe to the channel as well and leave a rating if you'd like. Thank you all for watching and I hope you guys enjoy this. So how are you doing, man? Yeah, good. Good? Yeah. yeah. Um, Keeping busy? Yeah. At least pretending to. Yeah, I know you're pretending. Yeah. yeah. Well, perception is reality. So you know, if you look like you know what you're doing, people will think you know what you're doing. Yeah. And then I feel like I know what I'm doing. And you feel like, you, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So. At the end, nobody really knows. No. Um, so we'll get to your work. What you do with... <laughs> we'll get to your work. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah well, I have the last two minutes for that, so don't <laughs> worry. But um, before we get that... So I explained in the pre-intro... Uh, the before the podcast started on, you know, what kind of work you do in Parasport and all that. But before we get into that, tell me your thoughts on the World Cup so far. Oh, World Cup, you're taking me there. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's been very exciting. Um, best I'm, World, I think maybe best World Cup I've seen. Yeah, you know what? I I was actually funny you say that. I was talking to my um dad a couple of days ago about the unexpected turn of events. And some of the teams that kind of came to places where they shouldn't have or wasn't mm -hmm. expected to. Now I remember 2014 and how Germany got sort of spanked. I mean, sorry, Germany spanked Brazil, Brazil in the yeah. semifinals. And then you had Argentina come all the way to finals, which I don't think they really deserve to. And then I started wondering whether, you know, was this really a one-off type of World Cup? Or are, are we just biased because of the recency bias of... True. You know, this is yeah, the yeah, most yeah. recent one, so we're like, wow, this is the World Cup. That's mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. Never been the one. Well, like which it. honestly, uh, like, happens every tournament. Yeah. Every Euro, like, every World Cup's like, is this the worst <laughs> ever? Is this the best ever? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I do have to admit that when you look at stats, I don't know um, who it was, but they they were tweeting out stats about the most. So the, the there was the most goals, ninety minutes or onwards, scored in. The group stage in this World Cup compared to the entire World Cup history in 2016 or 2014. Oh, the entire World Cup. Yeah, in the, so okay, we yeah, already yeah, had as much as many mm -hmm. and game game ending goals, game deciding goals. Yeah, in the stand in the what do you call it? Um, group extra time. Yeah, an extra time in group stages. The, yeah, to the other World Cup. So I mean. I mean that that is exciting. You're getting 90, 90th minute goals. That's mm -hmm. where the excitement is. But it has been crazy. Um, yeah, a lot of upsets, a lot of underdogs. Russia, Russia, I think is ranked hundredth in the world, something like that. Mm. And uh, they made it pretty far. Yeah. Good for them. It's kind of common though, um, for hosts to make noise. I don't know yeah. why. I mean, South um, Africa, I think, was eliminated in group yeah. stages. We'll bet well, I mean, yeah. But how much juice do you think the Russian team is on right now? <laughs> like, I, I think two jugs of juice I, each? I think they're being fed a lot of... Horse meat. Yeah. Yeah, horse meat. Um, and I, I, 
if I was if I was Putin, I'd definitely give a Mercedes each for for, for sure the performance and a two hundred thousand dollar watch. Yeah, too bad I'm not the team. I'm on the team. Putin is uh, they deserve. He's it. satisfied. They, they, they no, but they actually did. Out. Yeah, they they yeah. they play well as a team. Tactically, I don't know if I'd say it's the like the most exciting team to watch. Yeah, but. They played their hearts out, man. Not a lot of finesse, but definitely good teamwork. I must say, though, I was very disappointed by the Russian fans. Why? Dude, like, you couldn't... If if you didn't tell me that the World Cup was in Russia and I was watching the Russia game versus anybody, really... You wouldn't know? I wouldn't have known it's a, it's a Russian uh, country, hmm. we're, like, city we're playing in because it's like, they're not football fans i guess yeah i, I didn't know. notice that like, i mean my yeah. apologies to all my russian friends but i have a lot just, of russian listeners so please yeah. be careful yeah i'm, <laughs> I'm a huge in russia yeah yeah it's relative we're speaking right to the other listeners you have yeah so yeah, i have okay. about one russian listener right yeah, now compared so no to none listeners so. yeah compared to none here <laughs> he just lost that one too yeah, yeah. no he doesn't watch <laughs> yeah sorry buddy um but yeah, I, I never noticed that but yeah i guess you're right i mean compared to um you know brazil when it was in Brazil yeah. compared to well, you South even Africa. Have some, some teams like I don't know, like Mexico. Yeah. Um, even in, in Russia, they were they were taking out the stadium. Colombia against what was it, Colombia against England? Yeah, it was just like you would think that the game is being played somewhere near Colombia or in Colombia itself and mm-hmm. maybe not in anywhere close to England. So uh, yeah, I mean it it is with the culture, mm-hmm. I guess. Who do you have winning in the in the final? Ooh. Croatia and France. By the time who do this I is uploaded, want to win or who? who um, well, how about we go with win? both? Who do you want to win? And who Who do you think will win? I, I always been an underdog. Like I cheer for the underdogs. Oh, so, that's why you're Manu fan, yeah. Oh, oh, you take throwing the jabs there. Exposed on yeah, camera. Yeah. Well, you know, on on record. On record. Um, that underdog team happens to win a lot of times. So yeah. Somehow, miraculously. Yeah, they yeah. win though. What so. a great story every year. <laughs> a Cinderella story. Yeah, Cinderella story. Uh, back to some of the irrelevant footballs mm-hmm. outside of Man United. Um, yeah, I, I want Croatia to win because yeah, they've never won it. They're, in, they're a small country. I think it'll bring a lot of joy to the entire nation. I think it would be cool to see a parody yeah. like that, mm-hmm. you know, where a team like Croatia win. I mean, there's no parody in, in, in soccer, really, but yeah. it would be cool to see them win. Yeah, but I, I I don't know. I think they're gonna get torched from the right the right side. Mbappe is just gonna Mbappe is gonna do his thing. Def- the Croatian defenders are not the fastest in the World Cup. No, and they're, they're also exhausted from all those games. Yeah, too many extra times. Way too many extra times. Well, that's yeah. three games in a row. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean Sterling showed a little bit of speed, and the, you already can see them struggling with his speed. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they can keep up with Mbappe. I, there was no defender that could keep up with Mbappe in this entire World Cup. PSG couldn't have stamped why they paid 160 million for him last year. Mm-hmm. I think uh, they're playing really aggressive against England, and I was surprised they didn't get a red card, like uh, two yellows at least. And I think they will, and I think someone's yeah. going to get sent off in this game it's against France. Prediction: You you got to have balls if you're the referee to show a red yeah. card in the World Cup finals. You if do. it's not Zinedine Zidane, you got to have balls to yeah. show that one. Yeah, well, we'll see. The I wonder what they would have done if there was a VAR in. During uh, the 1990, well, no, that was 2006. Um, the headbutt happened. Still, still a red card. Yeah, probably. Yeah. No, what well, would have happened? <laughs> would you pick up the lips, lip syncing, and give a red card to the defender as off for trolling? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, well, hold on, let me see what he said. <laughs> oh my god, he said what? <laughs> you swear, his mom? You don't bring the mother jokes in here. No, you're out. 
So then you're fine. You you're out. Bring his mom into this. Is, this is, you don't bring moms into football. No. <laughs> but what would have happened if you had VAR in in um when uh, what's his name Terry Henry touched the ball with his hand and that took against Ireland took mm. France to the World Cup. That would have been yeah. Or England's uh, goal that didn't get counted was it against Germany? Ger- yeah, West yeah. Germany, I think it was yeah. at that point. Oh, we're going way back. We're going way back. I don't even think I was awa- uh, born that that time. I was. Yeah. I was around. Yeah, I when I was your age. <laughs> yeah. When I was your age, man. You were still doing this podcast. I was so I was tenured at that yeah. age. Yeah. Mm. Now I was just, yeah. Things have gone downhill for you. I see. I've been around for that long, and this podcast is still. Uh, You're inviting me to your podcast, and I'm still invited. So you, yeah, that tells so. you. My fall from grace. Oh. Um, Let me ask you a question. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Well, who was your team starting World Cup? Um, so this is a this is a long story. <laughs> oh boy, is oh it boy. a podcast of its own? So in the Middle East, where I grew up, oh boy. in Syria, it's, especially. It's yeah, this is a long one. We're going, going way back. back. Yeah, the year was two thousand two. <laughs> no, so in the Middle East. Everybody, I mean, nobody cheers for their home country because our countries are shit. They never make it. They, when they never when make they it. When they do, you know they're gonna disappoint. You. Yeah, unless like you're Egypt or Saudi Arabia or something like. Or Iran. Or Iran, yeah. Um, Consistently getting kicked out in the first stages. Exactly. Yeah. So what ha- what you see happening is a lot of guys, a lot of males mm. cheer for Brazil. Okay. And a lot of females cheer for Italy. Oh. That's like it's almost it's almost fifty fifty or wanna, Germany because there's a lot of handsome uh, men on you Germany. Want to do a research to why? Yeah, you have those tendencies. Well, it's obvious. Look at <laughs> look at the German <laughs> look team. Look at the Italians walking. Look around. at the Italians walking. <laughs> look at the Germans. They're like six four, yeah. like um, cut out so of stone. Why, why you guys uh, cheer for Brazil? Then? I don't know really. Um, I don't know. Everybody loves Brazil. Like my yeah. dad, my brother, always been Brazil fans. Right. So I was kind of like, okay, yeah, I'll mm-hmm. take Brazil. Yeah. I don't really have like a dog in the race when it comes to international soccer. Um, but yeah, I like Brazil. Yeah. They're, you know, they're a disaster. They have been the last eight years. Honestly, w- w- I think Jeez. the good, uh, the good, I think the team is good. You... But they're playing together. I mean, if you look at them. Like a disaster. On position by position basis. On, on paper. Per- per athlete basis i don't think there is a team aside belgium that could compete salary wise and experience wise Mm -hmm. thus far the france team is almost up there but i feel like the the france team is just too young english team they've always had players in the premier league that never live up to their hype internationally so i don't want to bring in in england into that conversation um but i feel like brazil like you look at marcelo from the left left back all the way to the front where there's Neymar Mm -hmm. and Coutinho. These guys play for not only European countries, uh, European leagues, but teams that are dominating the European leagues. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know what's happening with them. They're door to the Jenga. I think um, there's not a lot of chemistry. There's not a lot of... um, I feel like this connection between like the defense, Mm. mid, and forward is not there. They definitely missed Marcelo last game. Yeah, and I blame Neymar for a lot of it, too. Yeah. I think he's just been an absolute uh, I, I idiot. I think he deserves an Oscar. I mean, I try to reenact some of his tricks when I was playing myself. Yeah, yeah. Our, you know, pick up games on, on you know, concrete. Yeah, on concrete, uh, yeah. yeah. We don't play on grass that they play, but no. it's hard. It's hard to dive like that. And it is hard. And do a flip and roll and while holding your right? ankle. And that, also... It takes talent. Yeah, and like showing emotion and pain yeah. and, you know, that's not, it's not, not easy. easy. I People think, take it for granted. I think true. he puts a lot of work into his... 
it is craft and into his art he does deserve a lot of respect yeah that's for sure um so tell me tell me about how you um how you got into Parisport? How Smooth did you get? Transition I know from I'm World Cup down to Parisport. I'm I'm so good at segues, man. <laughs> that's one of yeah. the things I'm great at. Um, that's an interesting one. Actually, what did you do your your undergrad in? So I did. I've my bachelor was in psychology. Um, really? Yeah, and I had no idea what I was gonna do in life. Yeah, I just liked human behavior. Um, so I was like, yeah, I'll take psychology and sort of have my field open because i knew with psychology there's a lot of places you can go Mm -hmm. but also knew that you can't do much with just a bachelor of psychology um so i mean you can but it's not sort of what you wanted to do yeah exactly yeah um so i I was confused until i say third year until i met the infamous joe baker yeah i've heard Um, of him yeah yeah i think i know who who is yeah i mean yeah he's he's okay he's guy yeah, yeah, he's okay. No, he's okay. Yeah, well, yeah. I suppose. I suppose. Yeah. yeah anyways, but it's my story. No, yeah. let, let, let's not no let but let me tell. Let me tell my story. Let me tell my. <laughs> <laughs> no, go on, go on. Yeah, so I took his class. Um, the topic was good. The teaching was mm-hmm. so far, but could be the better. Topic, yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure I could do it better now, mm-hmm. but um, just the topic of sports psychology, um, physical activity, and you know, sort of factors that influence health kind of attracted me to mm-hmm. this sort of research, but I still had no idea what to do. Right. So, um, you know, reached out to Joe and sort of got a research position here as an undergrad student, um, did a little bit of work for him, and then got to know a bit more about what he does and, you know, sort of athlete development and expertise and um, athlete trajectories and how they get from, you know, when they're young mm-hmm. to um, to the higher levels of competition and, Sort of understanding that how complex this this pathway is. This world and, is. Yeah, that this world as well. Mm-hmm. I don't think I was cognitively that that mature yet to understand. You're still drunk. Complexes of world. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. I was still caught up in uh, in World Cups. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it started from there, and then Joe had some some um, some research open with uh, Mike Frogley and Canadian wheelchair basketball team. And I was introduced to para sports from there. Um, to be honest with you, before that, I really didn't have an idea what you were idea do. of what Paralympics was, or you know, right. um, if what para sport was, right? Right. Um, just like a lot of um, citizens, you don't, you're not exposed to that through media. You're not exposed to these things. So um, it was definitely a new world for me, a new um, learning Experience. opportunity. And I, the more I got to know about it, the more I liked it. Um, working with Mike and working with um, mm-hmm. with the basketball team, I didn't really work a lot of hands on, but we did a lot of research with their athletes. Um, so from there, it was just a segue to my masters and working with them. Um, we did so we looked at um, the athletes' training histories, their developmental trajectory, so what kind of milestones they've hit in their in their careers and how they've progressed through their life to get to where they are. Um, and then from there, it was just a lot of questions of, well, what kind of challenges do these athletes face? Um, right. Um, and how many various ways do they negotiate into expertise? Um, so those were a lot of questions that I, I was curious about and I couldn't find answers to. So we decided let's do a PhD and go big or go home. Right. Now I'm packing up my stuff and I'm going home. You're going home. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I'm right behind you. <laughs> shotgun. I'm <laughs> calling shotgun. The front seat, man. Yeah, yeah, I'm calling shotgun that ride home. Um, yeah, I mean, you're right about not knowing a lot about Parasport. It's not really that, um, you know, as, you don't see a lot televised. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't see promoted all the time. And we yeah. work in the same lab, the exact same yeah. lab. And I still, and, and, and my supervisor works in Parasport and yeah. my former supervisor does too. And I still don't know a lot about mm-hmm. it. Um, what, what do you think are some of the common misconceptions or myths about athletes with disability or about parasport in general? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the main issues, um, and this is not my, like really, I didn't come up with this ideas. Um, I was actually reading this through a uh, U.S. based journalist who wrote something, um, a- opinion paper based on what just happened recently with the Pyeongchang and, how much awareness, little awareness there was in United States media um, based on what their athletes were doing, um, how they were performing. And she was stressing the fact that um, we're not romanticizing, romanticizing or... Romanticizing. Yeah, romanticizing. Are you ESL? Yeah. Me too. Yeah, yeah. English is like my... English is so hard. language. People yeah. don't get how, how hard English is. <laughs> Especially when you started with speaking Farsi and then you moved to Turkish. They don't understand and it, man. English is like, what the hell is this? You're throwing like Farsi words here and there between oh, English words. I do. Words. And they should just see people's reaction. They pretend like they know what I'm talking about, but they're what? just being polite. It's Canadian way. They're just like nodding your head. When you're angry, do you start shouting in, in, in Turkish or Farsi? I do have Farsi, tur- like swear words. That, yeah. Like it's the same one. Mm-hmm. But it's like a batch of swear words that kind of continue. Like it's like a train of swear words. Once you start, which, you can't stop. Yeah. W- probably any Farsi speaking person, if they're around and they look at it like, what the hell is he saying? Because it just doesn't make sense. But it's just like me throwing yeah. a lot of swear words. But you're just managing your anger. Yeah. Yeah, true. At least I'm not like physically hurting an object or a person. Right. It's just verbal. Right. I don't know. Verbal hurts uh, as much as physical. I mean, that's, words that's hurt. That's deep. That's a can words of hurt, man. Open. Yeah, words, words hurt. hurt. Yeah. But I'm not throwing them at somebody. It's more towards myself. More towards yourself. Yeah. And you can handle it. Yeah, most days. You can take it most, most days. days. Yeah. I interrupted you. Sorry. Go on. <laughs> Do you, you remember <laughs> what you're talking? I have no idea. Oh, we're talking about yeah, yeah, the lack of awareness. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she was saying that oh, we're not. I guess the media looks for something to sell, and something that kind of. Brings ratings. Intentions. Yeah. Yeah. And she was saying that, oh, um, we haven't made Parasport sexy enough. And it kind of just stuck with me because the word she was using, like, sexy enough. And I'm like, yeah. Like, what is there sexy about NBA that we're sort of pushing, right? Um, if you want to talk about impressive, I think it's, or something that's entertaining. So I watched, and the, the other argument was that, oh, we don't understand the rules or the classifications of different impairments. In in um in sort of each race, right? Okay. So we don't know how people are scored. Fine. Um, and then I I thought about that deeply, and I had a chat with a few colleagues, and I was like, well, to be honest with you, when I when I watch Olympics, I'm not an expert on how people perform, and I when they do their synchronized uh you know diving or yeah some of the gymnastic stuff, I have no idea how they're getting scored. I, I'm just looking for someone to eat shit. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's just like. I literally I'm looking for those spins in the air. Yeah, right? it's like wow, that's impressive. That's cool. Or some like the downhill skiing. When I was looking at the the Pyeongchang Pyeongchang races, it's like, oh, that's that's nice. So the way he's doing the turns, he's going really fast. Right, that's impressive. 
I don't know why he got deducted two seconds there, but <laughs> that's impressive. <laughs> um, to me, that's over, overall, you know, entertainment. So I don't know if if you can differentiate between the general pop like population's perspective of Olympics versus Paralympics. Okay. I think it it's I don't know, maybe I'm biased because I'm in the field and I enjoy in the field so much that I say it's as equally entertaining, if not more. Seeing somebody with one leg ski down the hill is more impressive than somebody with two legs in a way. Right. Or, you know, having a blind, um, what do you call it, visually impaired athlete yeah. be guided down the hill with their colleague and how um, how the two are so in sync coming at the fast speed to me is way more um, entertaining to watch than some of the other sports right. that are not in para-sport, right? There's an added constraint that that the athlete is overcoming, so it's like you know makes uh, makes for a better story. And, yeah, uh, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like we've had a lot of literature, and you talk to some of the athletes, they're they're sort of against all that whole Cinderella story. Actually, I was going to ask you, you about know, that. Yeah. Oh, I went through struggles. You know, they, yeah. they don't want to be treated as athletes, but the, that's athlete preference, right? Even with um, able-bodied athletes, it's the same thing. Some some people like to. Um, dramatize their experience and how they've mm-hmm. um, or the struggles that they've to they went through or challenges that they've gone through to get to expertise and some people don't right some people like it. attention some yeah, people don't don't exactly. want to be in the spotlight yeah and I think it goes same way with all the athletes so true um yeah yeah I mean, I probably would want want the attention I dramatize everything you definitely yeah well I've seen I you mean, I've seen you you know, fake an injury just for attention <laughs> exactly. before, yeah. I mean, you just asked me about... you rolling like, around in a wheelchair, like, oh, look at me. I'm like, oh, man, I, I know you can walk. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you just you just asked me about my... how I got into Paris World, and I told you a five-minute segue into it, so... Yeah, and then I... <laughs> and then I outdid you with a great segue of mine. Yeah, this is, this is not about a competition, okay? No, but if but it was, I'd cool. be winning. Wow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I got one for you. We got another hour of talk, right? We, so, we do, <laughs> we do. Yeah, I want you to pop off. I want you to do all the work for me here. Um, what's the difference between the Special Olympics and Paralympics? Mm. Yeah, so two different, um, what do you call it, regulations to how you can compete. So um, Paralympics is um, specific to certain impairments, and Special Olympics is more for intellectual impairments. Mm-hmm. Um but there is some sports in Paralympics that you can compete if you have an intellectual impairment. Table tennis is one. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. So what what, what intellectual uh, disabilities are we talking about? Like the your you get scored on your IQ level. Oh. Yeah. So I would qualify. <laughs> yeah, we could definitely get you up there. You can definitely get me up there. Okay. The, the problem is that you don't have any sporting talent. That's true. The, the IQ part is not the difficult part. Just you it's have true. to have, you have to carry some sporting abilities, guy. Not good enough. Yeah, not good enough. Far from it. Um. Well, actually, Joe told me I could be a poker player, and that'd be considered yeah. an athlete. So. Well, we could you could try to start. And but also, you got to be pretty smart to do uh, to to be good at poker. Uh, yeah, and lucky too. And lucky too. Uh, that's what, or at least that's what I like to. Um, put a lot of my losses on, so mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, it's always in my the, opinion. It's all luck. It's always they the never win. It's always the ball or the or the pitch yeah. that you're playing on, or the cleats that you're wearing, or the cleats know. that you're wearing. Yeah. Um. So so I uh, you sent me a couple papers about the Paralympics and Parasport. I was reading them, and one of them said that the Paralympic Games in 2012 had a total audience of 3.4 billion, mm. which absolutely floored me. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you read it because I was hoping you'd summarize them for me. Yeah, so. yeah, I have a seminar for you, yeah, but excellent. I mean, 3.4 <laughs> yeah. billion people—that's a large audience. So, what's stopping us from yeah. really, and really like putting the 
Yeah, and you know the the London um, games were sort of historic for the Paralympic movement. I think we we go back and reference it frequently. Um, have we taken a step back since? I think we've taken half a step back in some direction. In promoting? Me- yeah, media recognition and things like that. Well, who's to blame for that, do you think, if, if you were to speculate? <laughs> definitely not Nima. <laughs> no, definitely not you. Um, no, I. It's, it's a good question, and I think that's something that that we we try to address. Um, not just through like the scientists that are that are doing the research, but also in, in with the organizations and the committees of you know how we can generate more more awareness and how you can get more recognition. But I think one one thing that London did, and I'm not this is a personal opinion i think it's just like they put a lot of effort into mainstreaming a lot of a lot of the games and they're tied it well in in the uk yeah yeah and i think um they were they did a they had a good effort in selling the tickets and advertising the games and having that awareness that people knew that you know it's happening and they knew where to buy the tickets and when the games are on um so i'll give you an example i was in australia during the pyeongchang games and um, you could only watch a summary highlight of the games at either 8 in the morning or is it 8 in the morning or 8 at night. One of, they had two segments of one hour in the morning and in the evening where they would summarize the, the Paralympic games. Okay. Meanwhile, the Olympics were on the entire day. You could stream it online. You could do, watch it on TV. I think it was Channel 4. Um and then when you try to access any other, um, so media streams online to try to obtain information or even clip bits off Twitter or things like that, um, you wouldn't be able to access it because they had the the channel four had bought the rights for for the games, so you can't even access the International Paralympic Committee's website okay. to get information on the games. You had to go directly through Channel Four, so. It it was great movement. The fact that the Channel Four purchased the rights for the games because that was apparently um, the first step in, in Australia as well. I, I think um, so. It is a great step forward. But can we get more recognition? Can we get more airtime? Can we get more sort of awareness? And mm-hmm. you talk to some 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 people that are not even in the field, and they're like, "Well, yeah, we we try to stream it." Like you know, based on the conversation we've had, they're like, "Oh, now I know about Paris Sports. I was keen to watch the Pyeongchang. I was looking forward to it." And then they don't have access to it. Right? I mean, promotion is all about money. It's like the more money you put into it, the the better promoted your product is. So, but the problem is that in pro sport, well, I guess yeah. in most sport organizations, you know, you rely on funding from from uh, either the government or yeah. from private entities. And yeah, well, you you fund you 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 your main source of. I think if you're not a global league like the NBA or the NFL, where your brand is. Um, independently well-known um, internationally and you don't have like sort of a direct competition for other sports like, you know, for any sport in a country such as gymnastics, tennis, and things like that, I think you rely, your main revenue would be relying on the income you generate through the support of your government and secondary would be your sponsors. Yeah. It's, it's hard to find sponsors when your athletes are not getting the media recognition because then the sponsors don't have 
sort of a incentive incentive to want to sponsor their brand they because they don't get their awareness yeah. that they want right. out of their brand right right it's like why would Gillette put their name on um you know the apparel that they wear when nobody's going to see it yeah for example yeah so um that is a constraint for a lot of para athletes i think para sport athletes um being able to reach out to sponsors um being able to get independent sponsors to sort of fund their their training and their competition it costs money you know like to travel to different countries for worlds and you know it's not just the paralympics that these guys compete for right you have to you have to win certain number of competitions and be ranked in order to qualify for right, the for right. a major competition. So you travel a lot. Then you got these camps and you got you you got your daily training, you got your coaches and there's so much that is going to be um that's supported through the through your sport, right? There's so much that comes out of your own pocket and I think one of the main um challenges that our elite athletes or up and coming athletes go through is how to negotiate the costs associated with their with the sport. Um and we already know like being an athlete is a full-time job um the costs that come with it even makes it more expensive so not only you have to negotiate the time to work you have to negotiate time to train and then you expect to pay this amount of money as well um and then we wonder why we don't have enough athletes in the pool to select from and we only and most programs only fund you if you're a potentially good athlete or already a good athlete so it's either you're on the podium so you've won a medal, you get funded, or mm-hmm. you're like, you have the potential next, to be on the podium. In the next four years, you have the potential to be podium. So the argument becomes of if you've already got to that point where you have the potential to be on the podium in the next four years, you've had to deal with a lot of blows and a lot of financial. Forget about all the other challenges, but just financial challenges. Mm-hmm. You've had to deal with a lot of financial constraints if you're not supported financially. And you had to negotiate whether it be support from, you know, from family members or sponsors. You either you had to reach out. You had to advertise yourself as an athlete. You had to advertise that you can get to the level that you can sort of advertise the brand. Yeah. In order to get sponsors. So um it definitely is a or a main issue for, for a lot of athletes. It does seem like a chicken and egg type of thing yeah. in many ways, right? It's like you know, get sponsors. Oh, but there's no uh, coverage. Well, yeah. get coverage. Oh, well, there's no sponsors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's like, um, will the sport fund you? Well, it's like after you've already won the medal. Yeah. Um, it's great. I'm not saying you should stop funding our yeah, medal yeah, winning yeah. athletes. <laughs> um, um, but, and, and to the defense of the sports, it's like, how do you predict whether someone's going to be a medal winning athlete, right? To support them before they have the potential. Right. And there's so much funding that you're going to get as a sport as well. So, uh, you look at the athlete side, it's like, well, yeah, this is not fair. You, there's so much difficulty you have to go through in order to get to that point where you have the chance to compete. But then you look at the sports and, you know, sort of the makeup of the sport and how much funding they get for their whole entire instructor, for their entire structure. And you're like, well, how are you going to support a lot of athletes in the pathway without a guarantee that they're going to be in the in the podium race? Right. Right. So. And what about the athletes that never end up on the podium, but still need a money to live and yeah. and also support for their post athletic career mm. right i mean they're yeah. not going to be athletes forever i mean i think that's a massive issue that we deal with in all sports um para able bod um 100% NFL, NHL, 100% like, all the all the leagues i don't think we 
give two cents about what athletes do after they they re- retire. There's been programs. Um, I think Canada has a program. I know UK implemented a program in 2007, and um, and Australia had a program. I'm not sure if it's still running. It should be. It, it was a successful program when they started it. But um, so it's like when you tra- when you ath- when you're an athlete transitioning out of the, out of out of sport, they have this sort of a retirement phase where you have the opportunity in UK. I know their program works in a way that they have a one year intensive program where you they they take you through a coaching program and you can become a coach in your main sport that you were an athlete in. Mm-hmm. Um, those are main athletes that were well known in the program that are retiring, right? That yeah. that make a noise. That say, okay, he's retiring or she's retiring. Okay, do you want to go into this program? Let's make sure we do something for you to transition out. But I mean, there's a lot of athletes that slip under the radar that we lose track of, um, that we don't, we can't support. And that that forms the ninety nine percent of the athletes. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to put a number on it, but yeah, a lot of. Oh, the I mean, yeah, because you think yeah. about like you know, as the how many athletes when they retire, we make a big fuss about it. Mm, yeah. It's the best ones. Well, yeah. so the, the elite of the elite. Well, well yeah. what's the elite of the elite? Yeah. It's the I, top, you know, I don't yeah, know. And, one. And I, I think it, to a degree, um, the community of Paris Sport is good in the sense of it's not, it hasn't been as big as some things like you compare to like, I don't know, NBA or something um, where you have a lot of athletes retiring every year. Um, maybe it's not a good comparison to make between the NBA, which is a professional league and some of these individual sports that you compete in but um in a sense the community i think is a bit smaller so you do get recognized when someone is stepping down from their sport but yeah there is a lot that probably fall through the crack yeah i'm not exactly sure about the numbers but um and i reckon like when you look at nba or things like that the one percent that do get noticed when they retire that's the one percent that you they don't need the attention when they retire yeah yeah, exactly it's like the kobe's and the lebron's where they're financially already off yeah. Um. Before they even retire, like LeBron just moved to LA for his sake of his retirement, and he's already planning income post NBA. So, um, our former uh, lab mate surgeon was hmm. he does work. Um, surgeon? Who's surgeon? Uh, he's some some dude. Yeah. Th- yeah. Don't worry about not him. Important. But yeah, it's not important. But uh, he um, Doctor Lemmas. Doctor. Yeah. <laughs> Living in Cali. Yeah. Flexing on people. He, um, I think he did a, or he had a block called the Forgotten NBA, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And I remember. Was it just NBA, or he did a, all major sports? I don't I'm, remember. Uh, I think it was friends. NBA, but I'm not too sure. But I remember, um, he told me once, like NBA players reach out to him sometimes, and they're like, "Hey, man, thanks for like recognizing wow. us. Like, we cool. we we retired. Like, we came into the league, we played a little bit, and and we left, and, and nobody gave a crap wow. about us, and still nobody that gives sucks. a crap about us." And it's not not in terms of attention, like oh I'm not getting attention. It's like, how yeah. am I doing as a person? You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Exactly. Like, do I have a program that supports me after yeah. I leave? Yeah. It's like we don't know. We don't have that. Yeah, I I think I was talking to surgeon, and I'm gonna uh, paraphrase him because I don't know exact numbers. So I'm gonna make these up on yeah. the spot and say that surgeon said these. Um, no fact checking on this podcast. Yeah, it's definitely not, not. Yeah, you don't have a guy in the back just on the. No, computer. my producer never shows up. So. Yeah, just like the makeup artist. Yeah, just like the makeup artist. Today. Yeah, she'll be here after we're done. <laughs> yeah, very effective. Mm. Um, but yeah, so there's a high percentage. I don't want to say numbers, but it was like I don't know between seventy to ninety yeah. percent for each league and like major league. So I think it was NFL and NBA we were talking about of the um bankruptcy rates. Yeah, I think it's like 80. Yeah, 5 years after you retired they've checked and 
there's a lot of people that go bankrupt and yeah and you wonder well how much of that is the onus is on the league to support how much is that individual responsibility but even individual like you but you got to teach them right because all they know is football they grew up playing football they went yeah. to college you know pursuing that one dream but it's not it's well, not that's like the, that's the argument right so when you sign a contract and you become an employee of the national basketball association is there their responsibility to sort of um have these educational courses make it mandatory or is it sort of like in whether you want to go or you go or how you just offer it is it a responsibility of the association that has hired you to sort of be an employee mm-hmm. or is it your personal responsibility. Sort of responsibility to know where your money goes okay. right um now i don't know i i've I, there's some work field, some companies that do a lot of retirement plans for you that, you know, yeah. deal with so your pension plans and things like that. So they, they have a degree to where they have a say in where your retirement, well, not a say, but they, they, they have a night. At least systematically, they care about where your retirement. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure whether they invest in it, like personally, but. True. Um now, when we talk about like personal responsibility of the athlete mm. uh, to take care of themselves after retirement, I mean, I'm not advocating for the NBA to like hold their hand and or whatever league you name it to, to hold their hand and take care of them for the rest of their lives. No, it's like educate the athletes on how to be responsible, right? And then let them go, and then at least they have the skill set. See, I, I don't, I don't disagree with you. I'm not saying that they, they, and I'm not saying they should hold their hands, or I'm not saying that you're saying that, but. Don't put words in my mouth. Yeah, I'm trying to. Um, and I'm just playing devil's advocate for most of this yeah. um, sake of this argument. But my favorite advocate. <laughs> my question is, is it your employer's responsibility to worry about how you manage your money and your salary and what you do after you've terminated your contract? Right. Yeah, that's a good point. It's you not... look at York University and mm-hmm. point fingers and say it was York's fault that I was a tenure here for thirty years and I didn't plan for retirement and I've moved out and I don't have any support. Mm-hmm. Now I know some companies and I'm not sure to what degree, and I could totally be wrong in this because clearly I haven't been a tenure for an organization for thirty years to know whether they support you or not. So I have. Uh, there's people probably that are not watching this because they have yeah. better things to do. But if they were, they'd probably be and screaming they stumbled at the upon screen. It. Yeah, yeah. they're like, "What the hell are you talking about?" There's actually, you have these courses, and you look at some companies like massive companies like Google and Amazon, and they have these sort of programs that. Mm-hmm. sort of like help programs right? right with a variety of things and how they support the culture of their employees but those are exceptional programs and sure somebody as big as the nba we want to be you want to be an exceptional um employer for your employees to work in but i just wonder how much of it is the responsibility of how much of that responsibility do you want to put on the shoulder of the association on money management right i mean from uh from a moral standpoint, you could make a case that yeah, it is. It's the responsibility to educate, because they have the resources to do so. Now, from a technical financial standpoint, it's like, am I really responsible for spending money on educating you? That's a good debate mm. to have, right? But morally, it's like, okay, well, this person is coming into your league, 
is contributing so much to your revenue, mm. jersey sales, ticket sales, TV. Well, depends on the player. Right. Depends on the player, but they all form the NBA together, unless you're LeBron and you're yeah. and you, you do your own thing. <laughs> yeah. But somewhere in these players are contributing something to your league. Yeah. Right. If you want to argue that it's a fifty-fifty thing between the owners and the and the players, mm. well, how about also take care of the players then? Well, doesn't the NBA have that NBA Player Association where they have the union? Yeah, does they the do union, have a union. Does the union do any sort of? Does do they consider any interventions to support their athletes? I'm not sure, but uh, definitely a uh, a piece of the responsibility relies on them. Yeah. On the union too. I mean, you see that in MMA all the time, and that's the problem with MMA is like there's no union, right? Mm. So the athletes are just they get screwed over all yeah. the time, and especially them because they get concussions all all yeah. that, and then they retire, and it's like, well, now I'm I'm drooling on myself, yeah. and I'm slurring out my words, and nobody is taking care yeah. of me. And yeah, because you don't have a union. Yeah, and they're contract based. Uh, their contracts like per fight, so it's even per more fight. scary. And you can like, get terminated at any time. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't, know, I don't know how we got down yeah, that. Yeah, I was just uh, going to say, we were talking about retirement of parasport athletes, and now we're yeah. talking about educating NBA players. And, and now we're making policy changes in NBA. <laughs> and <laughs> if so, someone like knows what, what you know anything about that, is like, look at those yeah. idiots. We have no know. idea what we're talking about. No, we're yeah. just speculating. So, that's uh, the point of it. Exactly. When you don't know what you're talking about, you can talk about whatever you want. Again, when perception. you're wrong, I've, I mean, before I started this podcast, I admitted to being wrong to everything I'm saying, so... I'm Perception is reality. Yeah. Oh, my reality. Yeah. Now, okay, let's go back to, 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 to Paris Now, are we going into um, fear of relativity and talking about Einstein? Because I can BS about that all day because I don't know anything about it. About relativity? Oh, I know everything yeah. about it. Yeah. I know a lot about relativity. And, <laughs> and, uh, I have PhD in physics before. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Uh, back in your time, you had back in PhD my time, in physics. Before course. you were born. Yeah. What do you think are the biggest challenges that athletes with disability face and i'm not talking about physical yeah because i mean there's wide range of um impairments to start with um you have the visually impaired and you got so like physical limitations could be one of them but yeah it doesn't it, it's not for every athlete that has to negotiate through those um limitations or i mean challenges but what is one thing not necessarily one thing. How about one of the biggest challenges? Mm. Athletes or just individuals with impairment? You gotta make the question harder, huh? Okay, let's let's. Well, I, because, mean, well, I mean, athletes face different constraints, right? Because they're they're pursuing a different endeavor than well, than just I, individual individuals who you know are pursuing other things. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, for an individual with an impairment, you got certain challenges that based on the socio-cultural makeup of our society you have to negotiate through um one doesn't have to be a genius to really take a look around and say that when we constructed our buildings or infrastructures we didn't consider all all ability all yeah. abilities um we started doing makeup on infrastructure afterwards to make up for what we've done um but it's just it's just to sort of meet the policies ends, right? Um, just to keep people happy and, and keep them at bay, right? Like Yeah, like we, no we want to say investments. we tried. And yeah. we're talking about developed countries here. Yeah. Right? Um, all of the things we're talking about is countries that are developed enough to um, 
you know, shift their attention into some of these sociocultural questions. Unfortunately, if you're an individual with uh, any sort of impairment, whether it be psychological or physical, I think you're going to have a much tougher time in developing countries than here. I I don't know. I, I'm just my personal assumption. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think we've done a good job of addressing infrastructure issues as much as we should. Yeah. I mean, when you walk into a new building, there's a lot of things that I do appreciate. Like I was at uh, my um, buddy's condo and uh, just ne- recently built last year. And um, so a lot of things are way more accessible in a sense of there's very limited steps. Right. Everything is sort of ramp or inclined. Um, all the buttons are belt high or lower. So it's like everyone can access it. Mm. Right. There is. Um, so there is signs for the visually impaired. So there is um, speakers for sort of um, mm-hmm. what do you call it? Auditory responses yeah, yeah. and things like that. So it was a very well structured, structured building considering a lot of limitations that other buildings have in the previous that I would walk through and I would realize um now i don't know if all new buildings is that a mandatory code i know we had like the ontario disability act that came in that sort of there was guidelines of how many expectations of each facility that was sort of community based had to reach um i don't know how well that's being implemented i don't know if we have officers that examine that or go through facilities and do sort of a check mark and say hey you got to change this by next year or you're going to get a ticket i don't know if that's policed or not it'd be cool if it was um but so like seeing that new building i was like this is awesome yeah you know and and my friend is not really um well informed in the impairment world like he's not that's not his um his field so he was like i don't know why they put the switches so low it's like well these are the accessibility sort of i didn't know that yeah even i I didn't know that that was the purpose behind yeah so so okay so aside from i think so at least that's what i told myself to make myself feel good it's working. Yeah, I, a, I see you're, bo- you're booming with right? confidence yeah, right now. Reality, I love right? it. My reality. <laughs> <laughs> I can see we're making changes in Canada. <laughs> First so, building to go off accessible. I, you took credit for the whole building and the whole... Yeah, I know, the management's going to call me to do advertising for them soon. I know. <laughs> all excessive, uh, all inclusive. Put your face on the building. Yeah. <laughs> so aside from, you know, um, so the, government... infrastructure limitations. I, sorry to cut you off. I, I yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't sorry. answer your question. Um, but that's like every individual that faces these sociocultural sort True. of built um, or even perceptions of people or limitation of knowledge of people and how they sort of con- communicate with individuals with impairment. You know, it's, uh, it's like if you haven't been exposed, then you might not be able to you might not know how to converse with somebody that has a certain type of impairment. Right. Um, so it, I think those are social limitations that we can't put on the individual who has an impairment because we've constructed those limitations as a society. So it goes back to that whole constraints or you can talk about this from Newell's model of the environment's task and yeah. individual and the, you know, what somebody needs to do. Is it a makeup environment or is it the individual sort of that has to face the challenges? But um, from the sports perspective, based on my experience and all the negotiation, like all the chatting that I've done with athletes informally, um, I think, like, first off, a lot of athletes sort of regret not knowing about Paralympics earlier in their career. That was an interesting thing when we talk about it. Like, I just wish I knew earlier. Do you think they're not encouraged enough to take up sports? when? No, it's it's just not knowing that 
Paralympics exist. Yeah. Some of them don't know that their impairment is sort of qualifies for Paralympics. So they might have a very minor impairment. So there might be a higher classification in a certain sport, but they are still eligible to compete. They didn't know about it. Some athletes just didn't know that the sport exists. Like they can compete in sports, right? So it's the lack of knowledge that sports exist for them. True, true. So it's like there's nothing to pursue, right, right, for them? So that was the main regret they had of why they started at the age they did. Like, I, I wish I knew earlier in my life. Well, I would have started earlier. Yeah. Um, that, I think, is a changing with the new cohort of athletes coming in now, I think, because we are getting better awareness. Um, Paralympics is not where it was 10 years ago, and definitely was, it's not where it was 20 years ago, um, you know, so we're definitely Paralympics is definitely growing. It's getting more awareness. But for the current athletes that are in the system that are successful, I some that I spoke with they said that they just wish they knew about the sport earlier. Yeah. And the majority of athletes that we chat about, I think the funding and the cost associated with competing is high for the for the support that you get. Especially um when, when people talk about the cost of being an athlete, the first thing that comes to my mind is, first of all, equipment, obviously, but also nutrition. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. eating eating healthy and for yeah. an athlete, that's really expensive, man. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and things are not getting cheaper. And then that's vital for yeah. your performance too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So and you know, you, I mean, just look at it and get in the person. And it depends on your sport, okay? So I, I I'll give you an example. So you might have two camps a year where you have to fly down to I don't know if you're living. Calgary, you might have to drive, fly down to Vancouver or Toronto to meet with your team. So you got the hotel, you got that flight, you got the camp itself, and you got the cost of transportation. Now, depending on how well your sport is funded, if you're part of the national team, this might be covered. Um, so these are these are examples that might not be applicable to every athlete or every sport. Yeah. But like you have equipment, so you might have a daily wheelchair, but that's not the wheelchair you use to compete in wheelchair yeah. rugby or, um, you know, um, the cycling gears, you yeah. know, bolcho equipment. All these are very expensive costs, right? Especially and, with the technology that goes into making the wheelchair. Yeah. So b before, again, before I really like started to, to learn more about Parasport, I didn't, I didn't really even think about like you know what kind of wheelchairs they yeah, use. The is different from the complexity of it. it, and uh, well, first of all, the wheelchairs themselves are super impressive. Yeah, super impressive. Yeah, yeah. and um, but you, and they're that, super expensive. And but that gets you thinking <laughs> that what kind of money goes into yeah. making those and buying yeah. them. And like, there's a lot of research that's coming out, and not a lot. Of, um, uh, there's research coming out, um, from Australia that they're so they're looking at. And I mean, it's not just Australia, but this recent one that I read is pretty cool. Um, they're looking at the optimal sitting position based on the performance specific to your sport. So oh. they did a research on, um, and this is terrible because it's a colleague of mine that I work with, but I forgot his name. Ross will laugh at this. So it's uh, Ross's other PhD student that just published this. Uh, <laughs> is his name? What's his name? Do you know, you've forgotten his name? That's what I'm saying. I just, I, I Who's Ross? Ross Pinder. Oh, Ross Pinder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pinder yeah. From, from Australia. Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So his student um, published this last year. Came out. It was work, work for his PhD. Um, and so, so they, yeah, they look at different seating positions, how well somebody performs. So the wheel, they did both wheelchair rugby and so 
how well does he maneuver, how fast he gets to from point A to point B in different seating positions, and they sort of find a suitable seating position for you, um, that, which impacts your performance ultimately. That's right? really cool. Yeah, and there are some athletes that have sat in their seating positions since they started. They yeah. don't know any better. Like, yeah, they don't yeah. know something might work better for them. Yeah. They, that's the position they know, and they put them in different positions. Like, holy shit. It's no, it's no difference yeah. than, uh, say, skating, for example. It's like... Um, the positioning of, of your hips and also how mm. bent your your knees are yeah uh, whether they're too bent whether they're not bent enough mm. yeah similar right yeah that's i mean that that definitely makes a no idea about skating so i'm just gonna nod my head yeah exactly. yeah yeah no you definitely yeah. yeah oh because i am the <laughs> renowned hockey player who's i don't know you just came out talking about it like you knew i still need the uh, i still hang on to the to the sides of the <laughs> rink when i at least you go on the rink at least i, I go on i rink. avoid it yeah yeah. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I tried skate? skating twice. Once when I was in grade six, I just came here. I literally was probably just got off the airplane, went to the high, went to elementary school. Like, hey, we're gonna give you these new Good goddamn luck. things that you've never tried on your these life. These uh, these shoes with knives. Yeah, these and, shoes and, go, with and, go out there. and then you're gonna go on ice. I know you've never seen ice before, but we're just gonna toss you up there anyway. Yeah, this it is what the- cold water looks like. So be <laughs> be careful when you're on it. It was the weirdest thing. I've experienced in my life as a kid in grade six. I came home half excited, half like shocked of what I just did because yeah. I mean I knew about skating and I knew about ice and you know snow, but in Iran you don't think about skating. But one thing that saved me that time was I used to rollerblade a lot when I was in Turkey. So oh um, really? Yeah. So I rollerblade for the two years before we came to Canada, and then they just oh, threw me on the skate. So I was like, ah, oh, this is time. This is the same. Until I started going a bit faster, and I was like, "How do you stop?" Right. Oh, well, I still don't know how you stop on rollerblades. How do you stop? Well, on stop rollerblades? on rollerblades. You lift. They have a. You lift it up like yeah, this vertically. It, one of your shoes, at least one of them, usually has your left or I don't know. Uh, one of them has a break where you roll with the other one. You break the other one. Oh, and you just slow I've down. never rollerbladed. Yeah. So, um, I mean, that's one way. The other ones like you zigzag. Uh, if you could become an expert, like, don't look at me about for that one. Yeah. Advice on that one. Are you a um, figure rollerblader? Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's where the dichotomy was between um, rollerblading and being on ice. Hmm. And yeah, I, I found out that the the boards on the side are really made out of wood and they don't feel good when you now, slide uh, into them. Let me ask you this from, from, from one immigrant to another. <laughs> you came here in grade six, right? Yeah. Now, were you happy that you moved here? I think I was too young to understand what I, what was happening. Yeah. Um, it took me a while to kind of wrap my head around that we're not going back. One, but two, I was, I was used to moving. Yeah. Um, we moved like two, three times when I was in Tehran and Iran, and then we moved to um Turkey for two years. We we're there, so like when we moved to Canada, I think it was my sixth, seventh move already. Yeah. My third language already. Um, so. And I think one thing that was really saved me was that I'm a social person. Mm-hmm. So it didn't take me long to warm up to an environment or I would have struggled really hard growing up yeah. because we tended to move from one place to the other. You um, moved a lot as a kid? Why? Why Was it your dad's work? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was It was my dad's work um, that got us moving when we were in Iran. What is what did your dad do at the time? He had a well. He didn't start where he finished up. He started from the bottom. But now he's now you're here. here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, he uh, um. So he was an electrical engineer back home. Um. First we were in Tehran, but he got a really nice gig at another city mm-hmm. close to Tehran for um 
for a what do you call it building a factory that used to um manufacture tiles so he did a lot of startup manufacture um what do you call it for buildings so he ran the electrical lines there and sort mm-hmm. of produced that for two years and then once that production is done you move to the next project so most yeah so it's constant most constant likely work. it's not going to be in the same city because yeah. these are massive factories yeah that don't go one beside one another so we moved back to tehran and then he built up a contract there but the towards the end of it he started his own sort of private company where he didn't have to move and he was picking out contracts uh, more strategically so once we were starting to settle and then i was like well we're sort of like got to figure out what we want to do because of some religious reasons i couldn't stay in iran so it was like well okay because of religious reasons you guys couldn't stay in iran yeah yeah so i'm not muslim and my yeah. parents weren't so um if you're not muslim you can't go to university in iran but were were you was your family muslim and then they they changed no 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 they were they were bahais to start with ba- bahais yeah mm-hmm. bahai um so when the revolution happened in 1960 and change it was in 1970 i don't know yeah it was 1970 and something yeah clearly i don't know the history of my own country mm-hmm. <laughs> when there was, uh, but if you say 1965 everybody will believe you yeah but it can't be 1965 because my dad was in his teens when it happened so it has to be 1970s yeah um so gonna yeah, i'm gonna go with 1972 okay yeah, three. it was the it was the summer of 1973 when yeah. the islamic republic took over the regime in iran june 12th to be exact yeah, i remember exactly yeah you remember that one yeah it was back when you were young that was that was yeah, that. exactly i fought in that war <laughs> yeah you fought in that one eh? that's how you got to go yeah to syria in the mm-hmm. first place <laughs> you were the regime that got kicked out huh you were the regime that got kicked out with Shah, weren't you? i was there before bashar left him, man. <laughs> yeah so yeah so uh, my brother and i couldn't really have a education around outside of high school and my both my parents were education driven um, people so that was priority for them mm-hmm. to give us a good life so we went to turkey um because my parents know turkish as well because they're from the north side of iran so they speak azari um so that's the second language i knew and then so turkish came easy for me Mm -hmm. um but in turkey we started applying to come to canada instead i see yeah i see a lot of similarities between us because i uh i was born in libya and uh i lived there until i was six i think something like that because we travel a lot because of my dad too so These these dads man Look at those dads looking, yeah. looking out for us and shit. So, um, yeah, I lived in Libya for, for six, seven years and moved to Syria, where I'm originally from. Mm. We lived there for two or three years. We li- we went to Jordan, lived there for nine years, something like that. And then we came here. So mm. that was my fourth country. So I, so I feel yeah. you when you say you're, you moved around a lot. So yeah, it was yeah. like... Yeah, you moved countries. That's crazy. Yeah. I, mean, I only moved two countries. Just... I moved four. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> you're, you're into moving interstates. I win. But, <laughs> it's a competition again, eh? But w- I thought we were bonding for a second. Like we're, 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 no, we're I only asked you to tell your story so that I can I would do you with my story. Yeah. Yeah. This is all a setup. Let this me, is all a setup. Let me see what you got. Holy shit. This is all a setup. Terminate this podcast ASAP. <laughs> but um, but I feel you, man. But, but I'm, I'm surprised that you weren't like, I guess you were too young to be sad when you mm. moved here. Well, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it's weird because we we talked about it with um, I don't know, it was I think it was I was talking about it with my cousin and my brother a couple of days ago about like being able to say goodbye to, like, to people, family, people, like even like pets. So we had a pet that just um we had to give get a, um what give was away. It? The, the, my brother's dog. Oh, okay. 
because um, he's just working out of town and I mean it's not fair for the dog but yeah we started talking about like sort of those emotional connections and being able to say goodbye when you need to um, I feel like that that helped me with sort of dealing with that dealing with that yeah and like so by the time we came to Canada it was just like I was used to making friends and then saying bye and realizing that oh I'm never gonna see them again yeah and back then there was like no Facebook or like things yeah, like yeah, that yeah. so it's like alright well right? that, so, that was it and it's like that's it you lose someone's number or they move from that that house you don't have their new number either so like it's just gone can't ride your bike over to their literally, house literally yeah and you know you don't have the technology you have now where you make a friend in you know I don't know like Tasmania and then you move out of there you still can keep track with them because yeah there's Facebook. Even if they go to Egypt and you go to Canada, yeah, Facebook stays the same. Yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely lost a lot of friends, but kept a lot of good memories. Yeah. So here we are now. Now, when you, because I, I feel like I deal with this a lot, but now we, when you form friends, do you do you think like, oh, like okay, this guy is now my friend, but I know eventually, <laughs> but I know eventually I'm gonna <laughs> I'm say goodbye. Gonna yeah. Um, I, I don't know if I think about it that way. Of uh, you know, already thinking of saying goodbye when you meet somebody. It's like, yeah, when when are you gonna leave my life? God, yeah. like, but all right, that's a not every friendship I have is like yours. You know, where right. I'm already trying to terminate. I'm a backstabber. Friendship. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm saying I was already thinking when this is gonna end. Before no, no, started. that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it crosses my mind because like I formed so many friendships and then had to move and formed mm. so many friendships and had to move and so start start skeptical? from zero. Like, yeah, and like you form you friends. Have trust issues, you, I have yeah. I have some trust issues. Yeah. Like. You form a nice group, like <laughs> oh, I'm finally like incorporating myself into this community that I'm in now. Yeah. And the next, you know, I'm moving somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And so now, when I have friends, it's like, I'm like, man, I wish that doesn't happen again because yeah, I'm, I'm. So I, it's like crosses my mind, but I'm I'm trying to avoid it. I, I think it's different now though with this day and age where you have Facebook and you have you know um, sort of can keep a consistent number and. Um, accessing different countries and cities are way more convenient yeah you're right and you know traveling is cheaper and you're so right i think friendships that you build now i don't think about it that way and like it's i don't know like you get so busy when you get older that you barely see people to start with that's true right? so it's like literally the form of communications become hey if you need something give me a call hey you're alive how you doing yeah that's okay, true congratulations on the kid oh, congrats on your wedding it's like things are moving at such a rapid, fast pace that mm -hmm. it's kind of scary. But I don't think I have the time to think, you know, just friendship forever. Or, I think I just know. have too much time on my hands. Yeah, I think we need to talk to Joe about this. I think That's I just a big need... Issue. Yeah, I need, to, I need to get a couple other projects. <laughs> this uh, podcast is not keeping you too busy. No, really. clearly not. It's <laughs> opening up old wounds, too. That's the problem. Yeah, we need to discuss this uh, trust issue of yours a bit further. Mm -hmm. how, how do you feel about this? How, how do you negotiate with your trust issues? I don't have trust issues. No. No. You're already putting yourself in denial. This is not going to help you. Denial is not going to help you. I'm doing the opposite of what I should be doing is acknowledging the problem. Yeah. You need to acknowledge the problem first. Yeah. And then we can sort out a solution. I just think like how many people really do you have in your life that you can trust and be like, yeah, I can trust this person with a lot. One or two? I don't think I trust anybody in my life. So I, oh, well, let's talk about that. You're talking about my trust problem. I never said I didn't have trust issues. That's true. Yeah, you just pointed out mine. Doesn't yeah. mean you don't have them. Exactly. It takes one to know one. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Now, if you, if you weren't doing this parasport yeah. and you you weren't doing your PhD, mm. what do you think you would be doing? Um, that's a good question. It's an easy one to answer. I'd probably be working with my dad. Yeah. Um, I worked with him when, since when I was thirteen. Um, so he has a construction company. 
um yeah worked with him summer times when i was in school like elementary school not elementary school um high school and things like that i think it was in middle school yeah grade eight or seven or eight i started working with him in the summer um it's just like you know you want things in life and what is the easiest way of getting it so start working summers. Sell drugs. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Start working. The no, summer, that yeah. was on the side right. when I wasn't working with them during mm. the during the year when you're in school. It's kind of handicaps you from working construction. So yeah. You start selling drugs with the money you make off of construction. I think I just got so. the the wrong idea there. For, yeah. For the, you got to get the order right. Yeah, yeah. First, yeah. you got to build the capital. The connections with people. In. No, the first you build the capital when yeah. you got the money. Right. Then you build the connections. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're <laughs> the right, drugs. You're right. You're right. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, clearly watched Scarface. Mm-hmm. Narcos. <laughs> clearly Narcos. been watching too much Narcos. <laughs> yeah, too much in my hand, time mm-hmm. in my hands as well. Um, but yeah, I'd probably just be yeah taking over his country. Uh, country. <laughs> wow. <laughs> taking over this country, Dude. ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> You're lucky I'm tied up in PhD right now. Yeah, <laughs> if I wasn't doing Paris, well, I'd definitely be taking over this country. Um, do you think you'd be happy? Yeah. I, I don't know. The question is, am I happy right now? Are you happy now? <laughs> this is becoming a therapy. First with the trust issue. I forgot to box, bring my box of <laughs> tissues. So no, I I think I'd be happy because I I'm an optimistic person. Like I yeah. enjoy looking at the uh, positive things and you know the positive side of things. So I definitely be enjoying myself because I I like working with my hands. Uh, that's what kind of lured me into working with him for so long. Um, it was a bit of a bittersweet sort of goodbye when I sort of had to fully leave. I only left when I started my PhD. Even during my master's, I'd probably I'd help him out. And whenever I could, sort of like working with him was like a break from, from yeah. this. And even now, like when I need a break from research, I do something around the house. I start a project or right. um, I build something. I It's just for me to get away. But one thing that kept me in school was those hard labor days where I'd be digging for like six hours yeah. and I looked to myself and I looked at my dad and I'd be like, do I really want to do this for the rest of my life? Um, right. Right. So he's made the sacrifice. He, he had a degree back home, right? Now he's coming here and he's working with hands, his hands working 12 yeah. hours just because to give me that opportunity. If you want, if you wanted this for me, I could have done this back home. I could have just continue his company yeah. there. I didn't yeah. need to, you know, I, they did this so I could go to university to get an education. You didn't mm-hmm. need to be, uh, Muslim to do anything in the workforce. You could work, right? Which is like for higher degrees, you couldn't. Because the application said, are you Muslim? You just had to check a box if you weren't sort of disqualified in mm. um, your application. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd probably be happy. But long term, I definitely don't think my um, physical body would appreciate the work. Yeah. Because I don't have limits. Like when I start working, there's no like, oh, let me take a break or let me take it easy. Or this is bad on my back. go all in. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's the tendencies. And I think I learned that from. Now, do you think uh, because your parents like because I also feel this and I'm I'm wondering if you do, too. Mm. It's like because our parents immigrated here and they, they sacrificed so much. You sort of have the onus to do it. That you feel like this responsibility and almost yeah. guilt when you're not performing your best all the time. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know if I feel guilty, but I know you definitely use it as a motivation. Yeah. Um, when you just don't have the energy those days, or you just want to say screw this. Yeah. It definitely is a motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're they're definitely an inspiration for me to do higher education. And to be honest with you, without them, I wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. They've supported me tremendously throughout the. And because they, your mom gave birth to you, so. Well, that too. Yeah. You're going way back. Yeah, I'm I'm throwing back. <laughs> here. 
Yeah. Uh, you know what makes me feel guilty all the time is because uh, the war that's gone in Syria, and yeah. my parents did the, their best to get us mm-hmm. out of Syria. Yeah. Because they they knew they got us out of Syria. By the way, ten years or eleven years before the war started, smart man. and they the knew, and they knew, like they saw that. Yeah. You know. They saw the beef cooking. They saw the beef cooking, and they're yeah. like, "I'm not interested in this. Uh, <laughs> I'm not interested in this, in this meal. Yeah, in this stew." <laughs> <laughs> so, and I I always think like, man, if it wasn't for them, and like. Maybe I'll be dead. Who knows? Yeah, like, yeah, or, yeah. or at least I wouldn't be able to like travel yeah. safely to my university. It would be, I would be living in a war torn mm. country. Yeah. So it's there's always that responsibility. Mm. It's like, you know, when you're not performing. Yeah, and definitely your heart goes out to the people that are um, suffering yeah. and are dealing with these. Yeah, exactly. Um, I I also feel like a responsibility to them. It's yeah, like yeah, you know. Absolutely. Um, I I mean I see a lot of people back home like you know you touch base it's not like you get disconnected once you're here right yeah and you see sort of the so they have these sanctions in Iran and what's frustrating is that this is going way off topic but it's just like the political gains that these nations play with one another is only hurting the people within the nations and no one else it's just the people so they, they pay the price that's the heavy part of it right you're looking at the sanctions in Iran and how everything's so expensive and like people can barely afford the chicken to put on their dinner tables and the rice is ridiculously expensive. A loaf of bread is, you know, way out of proportion for its cost. So you're like, damn, that sucks. Yeah. Right. And then you sort of, in those senses, you feel helpless because like, what can you do as a person? What can you do as an individual? Um, you know, when you're dealing with something such big magnitude and yeah, it, it, you just, your heart goes out to the people. Absolutely. Um, I know we're running out of time, so let, let me let me finish up with two yeah. questions here. Yeah, yeah. I know you got to go to lunch. You got a lunch date. <laughs> um, busy man. Yeah, very busy man. Got a better podcast to go to as well. Whose podcast obviously. are you going on? Huh? You'll find out. All right. Yeah. So I haven't decided yet. Individually, aside from governments and everything, what can I do as an individual to incorporate? Um, maybe incorporate is the wrong word, but like to to give uh, people with impairments and disabilities the easiest uh, life they can have or I don't know how to phrase it but like my me as an individual what can I do to contribute to people with impairment being incorporated well in society just like people with able bodies I think the main thing is um, that we're just all human beings right um, but with people with impairments it's it's a difficult one to answer because it's just it's so wide range of complexities and so many different challenges that we all go through. Um, uh, and the, the network systems are, but in sport, I just say, um, reaching out to a lot of more people, um, to, to be able to get people to participate in sports. I think we've seen that sports can have a tremendous benefit with respect to, um, people's well-beings and this is all everyone that we know of the majority of people that participate in sports um, their overall quality of life increases right and it enhances their life so I think trying to develop more opportunities for sport participation for all um, making it more inclusive and um, just bringing more awareness that sport opportunities do exist so if you as a person want to make that change, you can easily try to look for communities around you that have these inclusive sport opportunities, either volunteer as a person or start, you know, reaching out to people that you know that may have impairments that could benefit from sport participation. Um, 
Now, am I being biased by saying sport participation is good for all? Probably, because I'm in the field. So <laughs> I definitely am being biased. Yeah. But it's worth a try for somebody, for anybody. Like, it's made my life better, sports. Yeah. Um, you know, with studies, we've seen that for most people, it's beneficial. Whether you have an impairment or not, it doesn't really matter for all. Um, so I think at, at a personal level, at a community level, is one, we're all human beings. So I don't think we need to really differentiate what can I do for this person differently than this person no i think the main thing is treat everyone equally um you know uh, and then it's like well how can we make someone's life better it's like well if you have opportunity to volunteer if you have too much time on your hand and you're thinking of too many philosophical uh, questions mm-hmm. then you know volunteer at a local place or try to bring awareness about the sport opportunities yeah things like that well you answered the the my my follow-up question already but cool. i think that's a, that's a great message yeah. like if if you know someone with the with an impairment with disability, yeah. encourage them to to pursue sport. Look around, see if there's a a yeah. center around you that can that has an opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Sport That's... does make everything better. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a trend of things that are directly and indirectly that impact someone's participation in sports, right? It's the social aspect of it where you get to meet other people that maybe have facing similar challenges as you, and they might have negotiated through some challenges and give you tips on how you yeah, can give you guidance, ne- negotiate through those. Um, then there's that part of camaraderie and like meeting one another once every week or twice a week, week and that uh, mentality of having that social network and it increases your confidence. It gives you that motivation to, you know, that you can complete a task or you can do this, you can do that. And if you're on, you know, on wheels, if you have a wheelchair, it might give you that um, sense of better mobility in your wheelchair. If, if you, you know, you acquire a new skill, it gives you a sense of accomplishment. There's so many different levels of mm-hmm. benefits that sports can give one person. Um, so I definitely, from my experience and from what I've seen in the literature, sports does less harm than it does benefits most times. Most times, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I think this was a lot of fun, man. Yeah. I don't know if there's anything we didn't talk about from yeah, from Jesus life to sport Christ. to parasport to, to uh, politics to immigration. To trust issues. I think this was, if you want to give an example of how you can go on different tangents in one hour. Watch watch two watch, watch two guys with ADD <laughs> grind, grind yeah. the one hour out. Yeah. If you want to watch one hour of different topics but getting no information out of anything, mm-hmm. then this was the podcast for you. If you want to waste your time, you got an hour to kill. Yeah. This, this is, is it. it. This is it, man. Yeah, thanks again for doing yeah, that, man. I really appreciate it. And uh, no problem let's definitely do that again soon. Podcast again and going on more tangents. Tomorrow? Uh, I got another lunch date tomorrow. Okay, well, let's you said any time, so I thought maybe you'd want it. But all right. Well, that I was your only friend. chance. Like, you have literally one friend. So if you do it the next day, then I'd be free. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I'm watching the World Cup alone, too. Yeah. So that's how many friends I have. So. And that explains a lot of your trust issues. Yeah, it does. All right. All right. Talk to you soon, man. Yeah.